Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Wednesday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, thanks for being with us on your Wednesday and another chance for you to win today as well. Giving away another four-pack of tickets to the IU-Michigan State game coming up on Saturday down in Bloomington at Memorial Stadium. Uh, we need another keyword, Justin. So uh, you think of a keyword. I'll, I'll sure. continue on. Coming okay. up on the show today, we'll talk with Dylan Sin in hour number two uh, from the Journal Gazette. What's different for Purdue so far this season? Is IU in trouble tomorrow night playing Wright State, who actually lost by a point to Toledo last night? And the Big Ten. We'll, we'll talk about this in hour number one. We'll get Dylan's take on it in hour number two. Big Ten is looking at going to more than 20 conference games for uh, college basketball. Is that the right or wrong move? Also, uh, in hour number two, we'll break down the Heisman race. I, I think there's a candidate should, that should be getting a lot more love. In fact, it almost feels like he should be the clear-cut favorite. I'm sure Justin will disagree. We'll get to that. Uh, the you know, Colts going... Purdue has one good game, and all of a sudden you're talking <laughs> Hudson card for the Heisman. Uh, no, no oh, not okay. quite. Uh, the Colts into the bye this week, so bye week, no game. But where do things stand? They're 5-5. Five and five. We'll play some uh, over-under on win totals to close out the year. I, I don't know if I set this too low or too high. Hmm. Um, I know where I stand. Uh, and uh, sometimes you just you, you just got to buy the house, right? And uh, Kevin Harvick, the retired NASCAR driver who won dozens and dozens of races, in fact, probably in the what, top 10 easily all-time NASCAR driver, but he went out and bought himself a house and... It's not just any house. We'll explain. Uh, you probably know the house. Uh, we'll explain what's going on there. Also, in hour number one, uh, we talked about it. We'll get more into the Big Ten and expanding the conference games. Uh, the Comets played a day game yesterday here on 1380 The Fan. A uh, quick recap of that. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix. While all the stories leading into the event seem like a failure, it is... At least good timing for an American team that looks to enter the sport. We'll explain what went down yesterday. That's all to come. Uh, keyword. What, what's our keyword today? Our keyword is Bloomington. Bloomington. All right. Text Bloomington to 46862. Again, Bloomington to 46862. You can win a four-pack of tickets. The IU and Michigan State and the Old Brass Spittoon. Saturday, noon kick in Bloomington. Bloomington, your keyword, at Memorial Stadium. We'll pick a winner end of hour number two, so get your entries in now uh, to set yourself up. All right. How are we this morning? Uh, we're doing well, and i got to start the day off with, with this. Did you see this out of New York? A 747 had to turn around oh. 30 minutes into takeoff because of a disturbance on board. Okay. A horse what? had gotten loose in the plane. Excuse me? The 747 cargo plane. Oh, a cargo plane. Cargo okay. plane, yes. Uh, had to return to JFK after a horse escaped from its stall, according to the air traffic control radio. Boeing 747 barely at 31,000 feet. The pilot told air traffic control that a horse had escaped its stall, needed to return to the airport, and they had to dump fuel and to be able to land because they would have burned off a, a hell of a lot of fuel over the uh, transatlantic trip 
asked for a veterinarian to be on on call when they landed, but all was safe. It remains unclear how the horse managed to escape, but it remained unrestrained until the plane landed at JFK. Why was there a horse on a plane to begin with? Like, uh, so it was going like to Europe. It or? was going to Belgium. Okay, so Brussels. I don't know if it was, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know if it was a uh, a race horse. It's just a regular horse. I, I don't know. A, a, a nice. Uh, I don't know the situation. All I know is there was a horse loose on a seven forty seven. Wow! Just when you think you've seen it all, <laughs> a horse America on a plane. Com- America comes through again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have plenty of those stories every day. Yes, seemingly. we do. Uh, but uh, busy, uh, busy night in sports as far as headlines go. Headlines and headlocks. Yeah, yes, that is wow. That's a perfect segue. Um, we'll we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, quickly though, we'll get to the Buffalo Bills. No surprise, but they fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey, named Joe Brady the interim replacement. Um, here's I guess my question: Joe Brady is very highly thought of. I'm surprised he wasn't already in a role like that. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. I'm also surprised. I think I felt like when I heard that Ken Dorsey was fired, I'm like, didn't you play for Miami a yes. couple years ago? Yes. But I'm thinking like it's like four years ago. No, it's 20 years. Ago. 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, so or more. Buffalo had to make a move. We talked about it at length yesterday. This is the move. I don't know how this solves the turnover issues for Josh Allen, but Buffalo at five and five had to do something, and. Ken Dorsey was the fall guy yesterday. Now, Dorsey was endorsed uh, by Josh Allen when Brian Dayball left. He was the previous OC and left to be the Giants head coach. So uh, just be interesting to see how that impacts Josh Allen's play. I mean, that was kind of his guy. That doesn't doesn't mean he's going to tank, but it just makes you wonder, will things get better or will things get worse? It usually in the short term gives a team a boost. We'll see what it does with Buffalo. I just don't know long-term if this changes much of anything. We'll see. Yeah, I I, I don't know, but the Bills got to figure some things out. Uh, another edition of college football playoff rankings. Again, these are pretty meaningless, but Georgia now in the top spot, Ohio State number two, Michigan number three, Florida State number four, Washington at five, and Ohio State at six. I think what's more fascinating is the fact that Texas and Alabama are seven and eight. I mean, there are just so many good teams at the top. And even though there's only effectively three weeks left, two regular season weeks and a conference championship week, there's still a lot to be decided, right? And, and, and I was kind of looking at this last night. Let's say it's this time next year and 12 teams get in and what the race would be around the 12 spots. So right now you have Penn State 12, Ole Miss 13, Oklahoma 14, LSU 15 and lurking at 16 Caleb Iowa the Iowa Hawkeyes now it won't be as be as easy as saying one through 12 next year because you will have at least one group of five team in there correct yes and which right now would be Tulane yeah and they're all the way down in 24th but they're nine and one yes yeah I'm not saying they're not deserving to get to the 12 team playoff but And, and lost a close game to Ole Miss I think without their quarterback yes and Ole Miss is in the thick of, of that top 12. So as much as we focus this year on the top four, next year we'll have innumerable amount of storylines over the final couple weeks of the season, not just at the top, but at the bottom. When you look at two-loss Oregon State, two-loss Penn State, two-loss Ole Miss, two-loss Oklahoma, two-loss Iowa, 
which of those teams can sneak in, even Notre Dame. I mean, right now, 7-3, and three, completely out of the college football playoff race, but next year at this time, are we talking about, hey, crazy things could happen over the final three weeks. Could Notre Dame sneak in with three losses? Not with them only having two games left. No, but if you're going into a couple games next year, you'll go to USC. Mm-hmm. And if USC is good, you could say if you can get a win at USC and you get some losses in front of you, could you pull it off? So those are some of the storylines that aren't a thing this year that starting next year will be. Elsewhere in college football, uh, a judge has ruled in favor of Oregon State and Washington State in control for the Pac-12 board. So it is now the Pac-2. Oregon State and Washington State are the sole governing members of the Pac-12 conference board. Of course, 10 other schools defected to either the Big 12, the Big 10, or the ACC over the last year and a half. But uh, this is significant in the sense that these two schools now have control over the board and they're arguing over the revenue share, which are estimated to be at more than $400 million for the 2023-24 year. Again, Pac-12 in their current TV deal, 12-year, $3 billion deal with Fox and ESPN that expires next year. So... Uh, Oregon State and Washington State, again, th- this is not a shutout for the departing schools, but this is the first step that's an advantage to the two teams left behind. So what do they do now? Do they try to raid the Mountain West? Or does the Mountain West feel like it now has the inside track on potentially being the fifth power yeah, conference? My guess, there's something along those lines. That's my guess. Either they because join the Mountain West. I, I don't know if, if Washington State and Oregon State can convince anybody in the Mountain West to jump to the Pac-12? Uh, they could based on the revenue. That's true. I mean, San I mean Diego if they State say, was if, trying. If they get the revenue, which this is the first step in getting that money, which I've seen the report. This said more than $400 million, I've seen as much as $500 million they'd be able to split. So if you, if you say, hey, we'll give you, you know, each school, you know, $10, $15, 20000000 million if you want to jump, jump ship, and then we'll keep the Pac-12 intact. So you're looking at the Mountain West and it's a what, twelve team league right now? Or would it you look at Air Force could be a team, a program, Fresno, Boise, Wyoming, Colorado State, Nevada, San Diego State. I mean, those are some of the the, the ones that jump yeah. out to me in the Mountain West that you could take. There's some other ones. I don't know how interesting how interested you are in San Jose State and Hawaii and UNLV, but well, you know, V's been at least good this year, and that's the Vegas market, so you can keep holding True. your events in Vegas and have a good reason as to why. So we'll see what the two universities left in the Pac-12, the Pac-2, can do to try to rebuild the conference. Yeah, yeah, well, we shall see. It will be fascinating if they end up getting to keep the money. Um, that That would be huge for them. And obviously a huge blow to the teams that left not being able to get that revenue share money for this year. And remember, it's not like they're getting the full amount right away in their next conferences. So that's actually a huge financial blow. But then again, as the, as the judge said, you know, there are consequences for your actions. Yep. We'll see what, uh, what transpires, but it's a good first step for the two remaining teams in the, in the league. Elsewhere, the San Diego Padres, some sad news, announced that chairman and owner Peter uh, Seidler passed away yesterday in San Diego. Uh, So 
uh, a loss for the Padres franchise. Obviously, the, the Padres and Tin Caps affiliate, Tin Caps the farm system team, but uh, he passed away at just 63 years old. Seemed to be sudden as well. Mm-hmm. So sad to see, and we'll see how, how... I mean, it's a pivotal offseason for the San Diego Padres in terms of selling off assets is what it looks like. They've tried to move Juan Soto at some point, I imagine. How does this change? I'm sure there was a succession plan in place. People that are in these positions don't leave everybody hanging. So I don't think much is much changed in terms of the ownership, but... What do the San Diego Padres do in terms of the next owner, owner, uh, majority owner? I'm sure it's going to be in the family, and what their what their strategy is going to be. It may not align with the previous owner, and see what the San Diego Padres do. Maybe the new owner wants to make one more go at it with this team that has underperformed. We'll see. Yeah, as you mentioned, Juan Soto trade possible, but man, good luck with that contract. Yeah, it's, it's gargantuan. <laughs> Managers of the year announced the Marlins skip Schumacher in the NL and the Orioles Brandon Hyde in the AL. Major no real baseball. surprises nope. there. Nope, not at all. The Indiana Pacers in action, continuing their play in the NBA in-season tournament. And they're now 2-0 and in the NBA in-season tournament. The Pacers able to hold past the 76ers 132-126. to Of note in this one, Tyrese Halliburton, 33 points. 15 assists, and notably, zero turnovers. So Tyrese Halliburton over the last two games, uh, again, 33, 15, no turnovers, and then the previous one also against Philly, 25 points, 17 assists, no turnovers. First player with zero turnovers and 15-plus assists in consecutive games uh, since individual turnovers were first tracked all the way back in 77-78. It's a big win for the Pacers on the road. I mean, yes. The 76ers only had one loss going into this one, and Joel Embiid was, as advertised, 39 points, 12 rebounds. And Philly has been really good out of the gate. De'Anthony Melton had a big game last night as well for the Sixers, but Halliburton was was on point. Had uh, Obi Toppin, you could say arguably his best game as a pacer. Miles Turner was good. Uh, TJ McConnell off the bench uh, was really good. So... Pacers get a, a very good win. And now you look at it. Okay, you're 11 games in. You're getting more of a sample size. Seven and four for the Pacers is you're starting to see at least when they play well and they're starting to play more consistent can be a player in the East. And I'm not talking about winning the East, but I'm at least saying making the playoffs without having to go into the play-in. But so far, you're, you're liking what you see from the Pacers, especially with that consistency coming, which was missing in the first four or five games. Yes, and defensively, I mean, again, the biggest question mark was, can they play good defense? Well, they're finding a way to win these games right now. It's still high scoring, but this is the NBA now, right? I, I mean, nothing's changing there in that aspect. Yeah, I just have a hard time convincing me that you're going to win consistently in the NBA with your defense. You have to score points. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the other big headline in the NBA, uh, if you haven't seen this already, Draymond Green put Rudy Gobert in a headlock. This was when the score was 0-0 in the first quarter last night between Minnesota and Golden State. Uh, Draymond ejected. I mean, he wasn't even, like, provoked. There was a a scrum at half court, and Draymond was well behind the play and just kind of walked up and then decided to insert himself into the situation. And that was that. Yeah, it was Clay Thompson and Jaden McDaniels that initially went after each other. They kind of got tied up close to midcourt, 
and and they were just kind of like shoving each other or at least swinging each other around and then and then Draymond Green just comes out of nowhere and puts Jaden McDaniels in a headlock randomly it's kind of weird so ejected Golden State now uh, drops to 6 and 6 on the season uh, I believe yeah they've lost four straight now and they've all been fairly close games all by uh, six points or less. Obviously, they're not winning the play-in tournament. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I mean, you look at it, while I, I, Draymond Green doing what he did is weird, the fact that Rudy Gobert was involved, and in a sense, and I, I, I don't want to take Draymond Green's side here, but Rudy Gobert comes in, and I don't know if he was trying to break it up or whatever, grabbing Clay Thompson, but... Draymond Green, at the very least, was coming in to get Rudy Gobert away from Klay Thompson. How he did it, you could argue, was not the best idea. But it just felt like he was coming to the rescue of a teammate. If Draymond Green didn't have the history that he does, maybe we look at it a different way. But that was the that was the, had all of everybody's attention last night. The NBA is, and as you mentioned, right, right from the jump, there was not like... Uh, Actions that led up to this over the course of the game. It was right off the opening tip. Pretty much the opening possession. Yeah, two, not even two minutes into the game, and Steph Curry was out. Clay Thompson ejected. Draymond Green ejected. Jane McDaniels for Minnesota also ejected. And uh, interesting comments by Rudy Gobert after the game. Every time Steph doesn't play, uh, he, is in Draymond Green, doesn't want to play without his guy Steph, so he does anything he can to get ejected. <laughs> also referred to Green's actions as clown behavior multiple times. Oh, uh, pretty funny. He's got a he's got a reputation in the NBA, and that was reinforced once again last night. Yeah, and I think he, I think he's uh, pretty set in that reputation. Yeah, I don't think that's changing anytime soon. And I think he's okay with it. Yeah, it's keeps getting me paid. Yeah, it 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 is. Warriors it is keep odd. giving him contracts, like you said. <laughs> Warriors, Warriors giving the money, even though he's not even close to the player he was, you know, two, three years ago. Not and at all. I, I just wondered how much longer they put up with that, but clearly they put up with it for quite some time. Uh, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line this morning, 46862. Meanwhile, the Comets with a rare day game, uh, they played at Cincinnati, a school kids day, so a lot of kids in attendance. They, they do this every year. K's get a 5-4 win. Game was tied at three apiece entering the third period. Alexi Deu, uh, two goals in the win to lead the K's. K's outshot 40-26, to but two for four on the power play. Cincinnati just one for five. Tyler Parks was solid in net. Stopped 36 of 40 shots for the K's who are back in action on Saturday night at the Coliseum 7-30 puck drop against the Toledo Walleye. So, Gays get a good win yesterday in front of a lot of kiddos. I'm, I'm sure that was a loud Heritage oh, yeah. Bank Center yes. with kids. And Gays were able to go in there and get the dub. 46862, the text line number 46862. Don't forget you can text Bloomington to 46862, be in the running for a four-pack of tickets to see IU and Michigan State down in Bloomington for the Old Brass Platoon Saturday noon kickoff at Memorial Stadium. Again, Bloomington. To four six eight six two for a four pack of tickets. It's supposed to, see to be IU sunny. Michigan State fifties. Very nice fall day 
to enjoy Indiana University. And perhaps the last home Maybe. game for Tom Allen. You can tell all your friends 20 years from now. I, uh, that game. A, a season ticket holder told me they basically sent an email saying, you know, if you just commit to season tickets, not even put money down, but like say you're going to get season tickets next year, they'll basically give you as many tickets as you want. Really? For Saturday's game. <laughs> you don't even have to drop a dime and they'll give you as many yes. tickets as you want. Here, here's 20 tickets. Please, please buy season tickets. Please. Yeah. They just, hmm. they, they want, they want people to show up and rightfully so. They're lucky at least the weather's going to be nice. Yeah. Uh, but this late in the season, bowl off the table. Yeah, I, I, I get it. You, you got to make it work. Well, we're doing our part here by giving away some tickets. That's right. 46862, again, is the the text line number. Bloomington is the keyword for a four-pack of IU tickets for Saturday. Coming up on the other side, speaking of the Big Ten, the Big Ten reportedly considering 22 conference games in the future. Why, that is completely unnecessary. Next, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Wednesday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, thanks for being with us. Don't forget you can text Bloomington to 46862. Again, Bloomington to 46862 be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. The IU and Michigan State coming up this Saturday down in Bloomington in Big Ten football action. Uh, our buddy Ryan Eaton uh, tweeting us, Caleb Kinney 1380, on the Draymond discussion. This was this was good. Draymond should play for the Comets. He could be the designated fighter. Uh, I'd pay money to see Draymond Green on ice, right? Skates, right? I I would want I would want to see that happen. Make no mistake, there has been guys in terms of being designated fighters or de- designated uh, um, enforcers to play for the Comets. That's for sure. Where basically that was their only job. But I just don't see Draymond Green fitting into that. But I would pay money to see him on skates. Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be exciting to see. So the Big Ten in basketball, to be clear, they've already figured out the the future scheduling for football. Of course, that was step number one. Step number two is figuring it out for other sports, including basketball, and. There was a report that came out yesterday. The Big Ten could either stay at 20 conference games, they could go to 21, or they could go to 22. Also, highly unlikely, all 18 Big Ten teams will play in the conference tournament. Uh-oh, which, that'll trigger you. Yeah, I. it is what it is. I think it's stupid, but it is what it is. And one coach reportedly pushing for the 22 conference games. Who is that coach? We, we don't know. It, it didn't say. Hmm. Who do we think that coach is? Is it someone with pull? Is it someone on the chopping block? Like, who who would that be? Who would want more conference games? Matt Painter? Yeah, is it somebody like Matt Painter or Tom Izzo? Is it somebody like Mike Woodson? Is it somebody that um, is down on the list of, of guys? I'm not sure. That's, that's the, the question. Here's my thing. You don't want to expand conference games. One, you can already play every team once. Have a, a rival that you play twice. So that's what, 19 games, right? And then you could have one other team you either protect or you rotate. Like you rotate and you just go down the list. Now, you wouldn't play certain, you know, other of these teams two times, like ever. That's fine. But like Michigan, Michigan State, they should play twice, right? IU Purdue should play twice. Um, 
USC, UCLA should play twice. Oregon, Washington should play twice. So on and so forth. And then like if if you're IU or Purdue, do you protect a game against Illinois, Michigan State, Wisconsin? Like, do you get a choice to protect? Right, kind of like with with the Big Ten football model, where you can have your your protect games, right? And maybe that's the best way to do it. You you pick your rival, you play them twice, and then you play your other. Uh, team twice and that's that i think the biggest thing about all this is the grind of the big 10 and the impact and one unnamed big 10 coach had this to say said quote the reality is we have to get on it because they're joining next year talking about the schedule i've felt the last couple years as good as our league has been that teams have been a little bit worn out at the end when you add the conference tournament to the wear and tear of it all the grind of it all at the end of the day we want to have ncaa tournament success so that needs to be foremost in the mind of big 10 officials when they decide whatever they're going to do with the schedule and the conference tournament is the most important thing is making sure these teams aren't just stumbling to the finish line and heading into the 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 ncaa tournament really exhausted and and that's beat up that's exactly why they don't need 22 games they should stay at 20 like set yourself up in the non-conference better for more non-conference games, for teams that just need gimme games, let them have that opportunity. For other teams that want to play a tough schedule, let them have that opportunity. But there's no need to keep adding more to the grind that is the Big Ten schedule, which the the conference, again, another discussion for another day. But there are several issues at play as to why they're not having success. I I don't think it's as random as people say it is. You can't go 20-plus years to say, oh, it's just random, like they've just had bad luck, and then you can point to, well, they they played in all these title games and lost over that time, which is true, but they're not even on the radar after what the Sweet Sixteen anymore as a conference. Right. When you look at what's the, would you say if you stayed at twenty and there's eighteen teams in the league, you play everybody once and then three teams twice? Is that what would you would? Well, everybody, so if you stay at 20, that would be, yeah, yeah everybody once, a rival twice, so that's 19, and then one other. Yeah, rival twice, and then one other random, one game, other random protect team you play twice. twice. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that's the dangers of, of expanding to how big the Big Ten is going to be, is how do you balance the schedule? How do you make it as fair as possible? Or do you throw fair out the window? And then two, conversely, and, and this goes to the point of the Big Ten tournament, is it's already a grind for the Big Ten tournament to play throughout the regular season and then go in and at the very least have to play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And could be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Could be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then immediately go into the tournament. I mean, at the be- if you've played three, maybe four straight days, and then you're only getting three days off before you play. If you play Thursday, that's how you play Thursday at noon. Mm-hmm. That's that's a lot of games to play, and you don't have much recovery time. All of a sudden, you're trying to figure out when you're going to practice and when you're going to travel and all that stuff. And I think it, it's it's a definite it's a definite uh, impact. I think on the Big Ten. So what does it do with its schedule and the tournament? And it sounds like, and an anonymous head coach told The Athletic in August, 
that he has zero clue how the Big Ten will handle the additions, but John Rothstein has learned that it's highly unlikely an 18-team conference tournament will unfold with the new programs. It is what it is. I've already railed on this when when this came out for the ACC. I I guess I don't have any anger left. I think it's <laughs> dumb. You you can join a conference and then not be invited to your own conference tournament. But that's just me. A couple of texts coming in on this at four six eight six two. The amount of conference games is not the issue. The issue is how they are officiated. That's what needs overhaul. Well, it's not that simple. I I agree that is a factor. Officiating is a factor, but also the conference needs to recruit better players, plain and simple. Uh, and the then style of play, the style of play needs that's to change. not dictated the, by the, the officials. Big man focus needs to change. You need better guard play, and some of that comes down to. I mean, it's all it's all its own circle. The officiating, which favors big man play, which doesn't help the teams in the tournament. The recruiting, which again teams are recruiting more big men and, and going after that, which is, is not going to give you elite level talent, especially at guard. And then obviously the style of play, which again goes back to the players that you have available, the officiating style, and then the lack of success in March. It's kind of a all connected lethal circle of, of events. that keeps going around and around. Also CK, they have to factor in that travel is going to wear on the players. Something that I yes. mentioned as well, but let's be real. I mean, the, the, the conference Rarely thinks about the wear and tear of ath- no. on the athletes. So, well, they wouldn't why have, start now? Yeah, if you're if you're going to add USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington in sports beyond football, because football it's fine, right? You play one game a week, you make it work. But for all the other sports, this is a huge impact on the athletes. You imagine having to go to the West Coast and play a midweek game against one of those West Coast schools and fly back. Like, and I get it. You can say, oh, they're college kids. They'll be fine. Yes, but how will that be months down the road, right, with with the back and forth? Will they make the West Coast trip set up where at least they play like a, a Friday and then a, a Sunday afternoon or, you know, a Thursday night, Saturday night? So you're at least combining trips on road on road trips? Yeah. Like, at least make it easier travel-wise. Would it, and it's an interesting uh, text that came in, Talking about division format. Would it benefit the Big Ten to go to two nine-team divisions? And what you could do is you could protect your rivalries in that respect. Let's say you play each team in your division twice, which gives you 16 games, and then you have four cross-division games. And then what if you set the the conference tournament format up to where you took the top, I don't know, four five, six, seven, whatever teams in each division. And those are the teams that represent the league in the conference tournament. I just think the problem is with, with nine teams. Okay. Let's, let's look at this. Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA. What? Then Nebraska, Iowa, you have three teams left. And none of them make sense. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Illinois. (laughs) Like, that sucks for Illinois, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. No, but it makes more sense for Penn State and Rutgers yeah. and Maryland. And it makes more sense, quite frankly, for the West Coast teams, too, to not have to travel all the way that way. So I think that would make sense. I I don't hate the idea of breaking it into divisions. I just don't know if that's something that the Big Ten is considering. It sounds like they're just trying to figure out the schedule, not necessarily divisions. Because as we know, on the football side, they're scrapping divisions. So I'm not sure if they're going to go a direction where, yes, we scrap divisions in football, but we adopt them for basketball. But I think that would give you a certain amount of intrigue in the in the regular season if you're saying 
you have to finish in the top five or six of your division to make the conference tournament. <laughs> Someone saying you IU homers would like divisions. I don't. Th- I, I don't think. Having oh, we love it. Michigan State and Purdue, uh, and Ohio State. All within. I don't. How does it help? In, how does Indiana? that help? I, I don't know how it helps Indiana or hurts Indiana <laughs> or helps Purdue or hurts Purdue. We're just talking about logistically. It makes a lot of sense because now you have a coast to coast league, and if you can split the divisions up by geography and prevent teams from having to go from the West Coast to the East Coast to the East Coast to the West Coast a lot, then I think that makes sense. And then if you're not considering going, having to do eight, if, if not everybody's going to make the conference tournament, okay, you need to make it as even as possible on how you're determining who does go to the tournament. And that could be dictated by having the divisions and everybody's playing a similar, at least in-division schedule. And then playing some teams out across the division. So I think that format would make a lot of sense in terms of determining who represents the conference in the conference tournament. Another idea, uh, CK3 divisions, six teams, top two teams, each division compete for the conference tourney. Uh, you can keep... I, I don't, then, over two, then, I don't know. Because then you could start going with they should have nine divisions of two teams each. Then that's only six teams, though, in the conference tournament. So, But if you're looking... which. A, the Big Ten's never, even though that should, that makes the most sense in terms of wear and tear and allowing the, some of these players to rest the week before the start of the NCAA tournament, the Big Ten's never going to do that because they would have to surrender money from the tournament. Big yeah, Ten, you're talking, not playing enough tournament. games in the conference yes. tournament in that scenario. Uh, also, uh, IU being in the same division as Rutgers, now there's no advantage as long as they're in the same <laughs> division as Rutgers. Yeah, the because that, the team that that cannot... Thorn in their side. They cannot beat. But when you look at it, m- m- the majority, too, of of, of, of of rivalries are geographic in nature. So if you split it up east and west, I think you're going to protect most of those natural rivalries that you're going to play your division teams twice during the season. But it does, is the Big Ten even considering divisions in basketball? I don't know. Here, this will solve all the problems. Uh, four six eight six two. A text coming in. NBA style in season tourney for the Big. Let's Ten. go <laughs> the Big Ten Cup. Let's play for it. Let's do it. Now, will players get uh, bonuses and coaches get bonuses? You know, how how are they going to work right. that out? How are they going to nil the nil um, exposure bonus or something? I mean, you some, know, how, some how does funky that work? Looking courts and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 create another meaningless in season tournament because Lord knows the NBA has. I mean, I I can't. It's 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 crazy. I mean, all night on social media, and now this morning, I mean, everybody posting those NBA Cup standings. It's crazy. <laughs> the fever is real for the NBA Cup. I, the Pacers are undefeated in NBA Cup play. I mean, it's 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 the excitement is palpable in Indianapolis right now. <laughs> another, Sarcasm, of course. Uh, yes, another text rolling in. Uh, CK, the fun of the conference journey is any team can win their way into the big dance. I don't think many people want qualifiers. But who who has in the in the twenty five year history of the Big Ten, how many teams have won their way into the tournament by winning it? Not maybe many. a couple. I I get the allure of the possibility, but it's not reality that teams are going to win Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I think if your conference season expands in terms of the in-conference game, you have an entire season to prove that you're an NCAA tournament team. You have 30 games to prove that you're an NCAA tournament team. 
I, I can think of like two teams who probably won their way in. Michigan in 2017, uh, they were an eight seed, so they probably won their way in. And then Iowa in 2001, when they beat IU, the only time IU actually played in a Big Ten Conference Tournament Championship game, uh, Iowa won in 2001. They were a six seed. But other than that, you have ones, twos, and threes, and majority of the time it's the one seed winning. You have a five in Michigan in 2018, a five in Iowa in 2022, and a four in Michigan the first year. And that's it. Otherwise, it's a one, two, or three winning this this tournament every year. So like you said, one, maybe two times, it's actually had an impact as far as getting a tournament bid. It sounds good in theory, but is it really that... That that uh, impactful. Well, and it's happened in other major conference tournaments, right? The, the Big East. Georgetown yeah. did it a few years ago. Who could forget Syracuse's run way back in the day with Jerry McNamara? Um, you you had, let's see, the team who did it in the ACC a couple years ago. I feel like is well. Oregon State did it a couple years ago in the Pac-12, winning their way in. I think two three years ago. So yes, it does happen. But in the Big Ten, it's not really been. Not really been a factor over the years. Uh, CK more excited for more excited for slap fighting championships than this in season tournament. Tarla, come talk about the NBA <laughs> Cup. Yeah, slap fighting. Um, it's it's weird, but I'll I'll watch a good slap. Well, we've talked about the scandals season. in that sport. So yes, we have. <laughs> yes, we absolutely have. It's not as as scandalous as fishing, but um, yeah, slap fighting has its scandals. Uh, UConn, that's the team. Thank you. UConn won their way in. Uh, that would have been, what, Kimball Walker in 2011? Yeah, I think so. And then they won the national title. They won the national title. So, yes, there is precedent there. I just don't know if it's as prevalent as people want to think. And I get it. Oh, it gives everybody a chance. But I look at the, the regular season schedule of 30 games and say, that's your opportunity to prove that you belong. And I think you should earn your way in to the conference tournament in this respect, and then have to earn your way into the Big Ten, or to, to the to the NCAA tournament. I'm fine with that. So, how the Big Ten ex- I'm sure the Big Ten will choose the most uh, troublesome and difficult setup for this, because they really didn't think about this when they were just adding teams. They're, ah, we'll figure it out. And now they're having to figure it out, and it's not an easy solution. By any means. No. No. But again, I don't think they'll do divisions because they want to shy away from it. But you got to find a way to make this work. I, personally, stay at 20 games. There are 18 teams, so you're playing 17 games automatically. Play your rival twice. That's the 18th game. And then have another team that you're going to play extra or another, I guess it'd be another two teams, right? It, math is hard. Yes, it is. <laughs> Especially in the morning. Yeah. But here's the thing for me is looking at the Big Ten expanding the amount of games in conference. Who out there, and maybe there are people listening, who out there is going, man, I want more Big Ten conference games. <laughs> are there people out Besides there? Besides that one coach. Yes. Between, the Big Ten. Are there people out there that want, man, I love the Big Ten basketball so much. I, they should surrender a couple non-conference so they can play Minnesota and Wisconsin. Are there people out there? Maybe there are. I don't know. But I, I'm not one of those. I'd much rather see some of these non-conference matchups that we're getting in the next couple of weeks with both Purdue and Indiana. Yeah, yeah. I, Because I, you have to think, they're not going to be taking those. If they take those 
couple regular season games away and make them conference games. They're not taking away the Kennesaw States and Youngstown States. They're taking away the Arizonas and the Gonzagas and the Kansas Kansases. Okay. That's my issue here. Keep those games on the schedule. Give fans a reason to, to tune in until big 10 play starts in December. And unless your team's in one of the tournaments, like, you know, the Maui invitational, for example, or like the, whatever the, the Nike event is in Portland, like, you don't have a you wouldn't have a reason to watch. None. Four six eight six two, the text line number four six eight six two. Coming up on the other side, uh one of the hottest sports in the country. Flat fighting? No. Oh. No. Could soon have an American team. We'll get to that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, thirteen eighty the fan and one hundred point nine FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on thirteen eighty the fan, one hundred point nine FM. Justin Kinney, Caleb Hatch. Don't forget, you can win a four-pack of tickets to see IU and Michigan State down in Bloomington this weekend. Football game, not basketball, to be clear. Uh, text Bloomington to 46862. That is the keyword today, Bloomington to 46862. And you could win a four-pack to see IU and Michigan State. The Old Brass Platoon, Saturday noon kickoff at Memorial stadium now those tickets do they have to pick them up here do yes. we send them to gotcha yes you pick them up here and that's why we're only giving them away through tomorrow Give well one that was based on what up. we had also just so people had time to pick them up so Good you got you got to pick them up at the studios twenty nine fifteen maples road between 8 a.m and 5 p.m just during the week so yeah you'll have some time to pick them up so make sure you text bloomington 46862 that's right so it, it is the big event this weekend and all the headlines so far have been largely negative in regards to F1 in Las Vegas racing on the strip. But there was one positive headline for American fans yesterday. Cadillac. Yes, Cadillac is in General Motors. Cadillac is registered with the FIA, which is the governing body for Formula One. For the 2028 F1 power unit, a.k.a. engine, uh, which helps Michael Andretti, son of Mario Andretti, racing legend, and their bid for an American F1 team. And I know people who follow F1 will say, well, Haas F1 technically is an American team. And technically you are correct, but they don't have a shop in the U.S. And the owner's American, and that's about the only ounce of of American on the team. Yeah, especially when it was uh, it was sponsored by what, Ural Kali? Yeah, which a, is, a Russian And it was Russian sponsor. colors all over the, the Amer- yeah. supposedly American cars. <laughs> to yeah. put that in perspective. But uh, so Cadillac registering to, to be a power unit supplier in 2028. That is a huge step forward for Andretti's bid. Andretti Global is the team. They'd be based in India. And in fact, they are building a new race shop for all their racing teams uh, in Fishers, just off 69. And it would have an American driver, whether that's Colton Herta or Kyle Kirkwood on, on their IndyCar team, maybe two, who knows. Uh, F1 teams have largely pushed away Andretti every turn. But Justin, this feels like a huge step forward for the bid. The FIA is on board. And it now just comes down to F1 teams getting on board. And they're running out of excuses at this point. Well, you look at this, and and for those unfamiliar with with Formula One, and uh, most everybody knows what Formula One is is the most popular form of motorsport in the world. And for a long time, it obviously began in Europe and it spread around the around the world. But you look at at the Ferraris and the Mercedes and the Aston Martins and 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 now Red Bull and stuff. It's it's very much an exclusive club 
with very much foreign manufacturers outside of the United States. And now you're looking at a concerted effort for an American manufacturer in General Motors of entering the biggest sport uh, motorsport in the world. And GM's never participated. Never participated in, in Formula and One. Ford has in the past, and Ford is set to come back in a couple years Another as American well. Cup, you know, so it's a big impact because you're, in terms of global brands, that's how you expand your footprint. And you look at Ford and General Motors and trying to get into Formula One, is is that's the reason why, is raise their global footprint to to try to be on par around the world of places like Monaco and and Monza and places like that and Silverstone and and be along with the Alfa Romeos and the Ferraris and and stuff like that. So it's a big deal for American car companies to look at this as a worthwhile investment because for a long time it wasn't looked upon that. It was very much an exclusive club with European manufacturers and now you're seeing American manufacturers looking to get into the sport. So really the the biggest thing is F1's not acknowledge this the 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 teams, the team principals, they've all kind of pushed aside Andretti with the outside uh, outside of McLaren and Zach Brown, who is an American, who's the team principal for McLaren. They also compete in IndyCar as well, and he's good friends with Michael Andretti. And then also the Aston Martin team principal, Mike Crack. Yes, that is his real name. Um, if, if I think are kind of on board along with like, but as far as the Toto Wolfs. Yeah, with and Mercedes with Mercedes and, and Christian Horner with Red Bull, it's it's very much eh, they don't want, they don't want to add another piece to the pie. Which which is basically the big issue here. So you have 10 teams in Formula 1, okay? Each team has two two cars. And so they're split splitting that pie, that massive financial pie 10 ways. If Andretti and Cadillac and GM would enter into the series, it would then split that pie 11 ways. And that's why the teams, existing teams, are pushing against it. They do not want to to split that pie even more. So the debate is, is can Andretti, and that's why it's a big deal when GM jumps on board, is can it add enough money into the sport to then benefit those other 10 teams in letting an 11th team in? And that's kind of what it's coming down to. So the news yesterday, does that push in the direction of helping out Andretti and trying to get into the sport. But it's perfect timing considering the F1 race coming up in, in Las Vegas. And there's a lot of talk about could it be a one-and-done event and and the infrastructure and the complaints and stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is when you're you set your DVRs now because this is something that's going to be... There's There's been nothing like this in current day Vegas. There's been races in Vegas previously mm-hmm. in street courses, but not Vegas now. In terms of the development and the, and of the pomp and circumstance and all that, it's going to be a must-watch event. Even if you're a casual uh, motor racing fan, of course, it's going to happen. What's green flags at midnight Eastern? No, no. no. Uh, I think it's right before one a.m. Eastern. Oh, nice. Yeah. So won't be watching live, which uh, is what ten o'clock out there, which is basically yes. like three in the afternoon for, for Vegas. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not really a time out there. There's just light and darkness. That's, that's true. For somebody that's only been to Vegas once, yes, I agree, but. It's it's um it's a it's a great opportunity to see the sport and and you can debate whether it's let's be honest it's it's been largely boring this year because 
Max Verstappen and Red Bull have won every race. Uh, Max hasn't won every race, but when he doesn't win, Sergio Perez has won, his teammate. Red Bull's won every race. But this is the elite of the elite in terms of motorsport and seeing American car companies, American manufacturers looking at the sport for really the first time, especially GM, and saying this is beneficial for us in trying to grow our global brand. It's a big deal. F1 used to have a huge American presence in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s, but it's largely gone away really since Michael Andretti competed in F1 in 1993. Yes, there's been American drivers. There's an American driver currently, not on a competitive team, uh, but someone texting in at 46862. F1 is growing, but will never hit America until there's an American team. The racing is fantastic. Uh, I agree to disagree with you on that for at least this year. At least at the front of the grid. Yeah. Uh, the broadcast is legendary without commercials. Great sport. But yes, until they have an, a true American team and a competitive American driver, it's not going to take off in America to the level that it could. It's, now, it's, it's been very popular in America yes. the last three years. Yes. But that will take it to another level. Especially when you go to different events and you go to Monza and it's the home of Ferrari and you go to the Red Bull Ring and it's the home of of Red Bull and, and the the excitement like you go to Mexico and everybody's rooting for Sergio Perez like Silverstone it, in Britain with with um, Lewis Hamilton yeah, and George and, Russell yes it's 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 very much a territorial uh, fandom in terms of you root for your team or your driver in terms of your home country and there's not that in the United States right now they have, they have three races now in the U S the most ever right. In one season, yeah, in the United the States, the most compared to any country around the world, but yet, but yet, there's no pure American team. There's no American driver. Well, there is an American driver, but not well, one that's too, competitive. Logan Sargent, yeah, um, but it, it, just somebody that's that's worth getting behind. There's no Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen or Sergio Perez or uh, or anybody like that. Fernando Alonso. There's nobody like that. But if you can get the manufacturer in. All of a sudden, there's some rooting interest there when you want to root for the American team with the American uh, manufacturer, and then it grows from there, particularly with the promise for Michael Andretti that, yes, he will put at least one American in one of his two seats. Coming up on the other side, we'll kick off hour number two. The Colts on the bye week will play some over-under, plus the Heisman race. Is there a new name that should be a front runner, even though he's not really being talked about a whole lot compared to... Some of the other guys at the top, including your guy, Michael Penix Jr. And Dylan Sin of the Journal Gazette will join us uh, about after 8.30. Talk about Big Ten basketball expansion, Purdue, IU. Can IU finally get it together coming up starting tomorrow night when they play right site? We'll talk about all that with Dylan Sin. And a retired NASCAR driver has bought a very famous house. We'll explain what's going on there. Uh, at the end of hour number two. That's all to come next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line, 46862. You want to keep that handy, we'll give you the keyword if you miss it in hour number one to win a four-pack of tickets. The IU and Michigan State coming up Saturday down in Bloomington. Hint, hint. Uh, for the Old Brass Platoon game between the Spartans and the Hoosiers at noon at Memorial Stadium. Coming up this hour on the show, the Colts into the bye. We'll play some over-under. Also, the Heisman race. There is a clear favorite 
and a couple other contenders, but one guy who I think should be vaulting to the top of Heisman boards based on his performance. And Dylan Sin of the Journal Gazette will join us around 8.30 or so. I will talk some college basketball. Purdue, what's different this year so far compared to last? Can IU figure things out? And Big Ten future scheduling, looking at possible conference game expansion after adding the four West Coast schools starting next year. And uh, we'll have a retired NASCAR driver. He went out and bought himself a house, but not just any house, a house you've probably seen before. We'll explain that around 8.50 or so before we wrap things up here on Wednesday. Again, 46862 is the text line. The keyword to win those IU tickets, Bloomington. Just text Bloomington to 46862, and you'll be in the running for that four-pack of tickets. The IU and Michigan State coming up Saturday afternoon at Memorial Stadium in Bloomington. Kickoff at noon in that one. Also, don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app or on your smart speaker as well. So the Colts in the bye, and 5-5. Five and five. I, This is perhaps kind of the, the weirdest result possible when you would have talked to me you know, at the start of the year. 5-5, five and five, you would have thought you'd be thrilled with that record at this point, but also when you factor in no Anthony Richardson for the rest of the season, he suffered injuries early, he never really got much of a sample size, but when he did play, he looked fairly good. I don't think anyone would have expected 5-5 five and five to be the record heading into the bye with, you know, all the, all the changes and everything the Colts have undergone through 10 weeks. And that's kind of now that you have the bye week and you're 10 weeks in is how do you evaluate now? You can look, you're, you're past halfway. You only have seven games remaining. How do you evaluate this Colts team as opposed against your expectations? Whatever those expectations were. Some people texted into the show, said they'll be lucky to win three games. Other people, this could be a playoff team. How do you, based on your expectations, your personal expectations, do you feel the Colts have lived up to that? I think they've proven at least the people wrong that said they were only going to win three games. I think the issues behind the scenes have cal- have, have been figured out and calmed somewhat to, to then dictate the conversation on the field. So how would you evaluate the Colts? Let us know. 46862. Middle of the pack team in the NFL. Uh, let's let's look at the good. So Anthony Richardson, when healthy, I think showed himself quite well, right? That That's a huge positive. He never looked out of his depth. He had command of the offense. Yes, the performances were up and down, but largely he looked comfortable and never looked rattled on the field. Correct. So I think that's a huge positive. Again, while healthy. Needs more, needs more time. Mm-hmm. But what we saw was encouraging. There were some concerns, staying healthy. Yep, still a concern. Yes, but in terms of the gameplay, he did not look like a dude that was out of his element, that he was out of his depth. Yeah, and and accuracy was a question mark, and that was a mixed bag as well, but it seemed to be trending in a positive direction. The other big positive, and I mean, we all mock the Colts for this free agent signing, but during the season, it's more than paid off, and that's the signing of Matt Gay to be the kicker. That's been a huge positive. I mean, he basically single-handedly won them the game at Baltimore, has kept them in games with his ability to hit 50-plus yard field goals. That's been a huge positive this year. Especially with the struggles they've had the last couple years in identifying a kicker. 
and and that's been huge for for Indianapolis. And I also think you you've you've identified playmakers for the foreseeable future on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, the defensive line. I mean, DeForest Buckner is outstanding. Uh, you have the positive being Grover Stewart when he's been out there has been really good, and we're seeing Dio Dingbo. He had a big game last week. The defensive line continues to take steps forward. It's a, a, a secondary that's young, that it has been beat up, but there's potential back there when it's healthy. I think you see signs that going forward, Kenny Moore can be that veteran presence and deliver like he has through the first half of the season. You like the Colts going forward, going into next season with largely that group. So, yeah, and when we're talking positives, there's there's plenty to point to. And then they get the Jonathan Taylor extension done. You get that taken care of. You don't have to trade him. You figured that out. I, I know people can agree or disagree with the money, but I, I feel like the Colts put themselves in a good position there. I would absolutely agree. Now the bad. Okay, let's get to the you, bad. You talked about the secondary where there are building blocks, but the secondary this year has been bad. Kenny Moore has been fairly good. Juju Brents has been batter, uh, battered with, with injuries. When he's been healthy, he's been good. The problem is they just don't have enough depth, so the secondary will need some work. That, that's a given. The downfield pass game, again, they they need receivers who can stretch the field, not having a quarterback who can stretch the field uh, with, with Gardner Minshew. I mean, that's that's a negative. And then Anthony Richardson's season-ending injury, obviously a negative as well. Are you just not getting him playing time on the field? Is there any other negative that really sticks out to you? Not, not particularly, but I think the, the areas of concern is interesting because Chris Ballard has not always been the guy that either realizes what the weaknesses are or <laughs> cares to to address them. So yes. when you look at secondary, they could add it. They need another veteran back there. Wide receiver, they need to get another game breaker. That's obvious to you and I and the majority of people that are watching. Is it obvious to Chris Ballard? He just seems to be a dude that recognizes what the issue is, but for some whatever reason thinks that he doesn't have to address it. There's no sense of urgency on his part. He'll address it eventually, just not on the timeline we feel like it yeah, should be Yeah, multiple addressed. years until you do it. So uh, you go back and forth with 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 the Colts on, on positive and negative, and it's it's two sides of the coin. You, you have plenty on either side, I feel. Uh, text coming in, CK very impressed with Steichen. Just shows how bad Reich and Saturday were. I took the under on wins at six and a half. Shane Steichen so far has been as advertised. Yes, I think he should definitely be added to the the good on this list because I think he has done an excellent job. It, it's never felt like as a first-time head coach, he's making mistakes as far as just in coaching the game and when to use timeouts and things like that. I've not noticed. Nothing's really stuck out to me as far as a coaching mistake for a first-time head coach. Nothing blatantly obvious. Yes. And, and, and we... Definitely have a have a have somebody to compare it to with Jeff Saturday, right? <laughs> yeah, everything that was bad, but you can look too with the with the run defense that has shown inability at times to get stops. And I think while as good as that defensive line has been in terms of getting pressure, it needs to improve in terms of its of its run defense. Do you look at at linebacker and adding another impact player there to go as Iyer Franklin? So. I, I do feel when you look at what the Colts have, there are pieces, but they cannot be content. A couple other texts rolling in. Not only uh, should we be happy with AR down uh, with where things are at, I think they mean they're obviously not happy he's hurt, but I recall the other linchpin being 
how will Shaq come back and we're getting along without him? Yeah, he's yeah, he's getting tackles, but after we saw on Sunday, he's not a key component of the defense, and the Colts are doing just fine. Another text, uh, CK, first Colts are scrappy, certainly overperforming. Not sure they win a playoff game. I, I don't think they I get to think a playoff game. Make the playoffs. And that's that's where we get to the ultimate question here. So I set the over-under on the, the total wins at 7.5, which I get it. They're 5-5. Five and five. That sounds low. Let's look at the schedule. So they have Tampa Bay at home, at Tennessee, at Cincy, Pittsburgh at home, at Atlanta. You host Las Vegas, and you host Houston. I can see three and four in there. I See, I see, I see two more wins. I see seven and ten. I, you could see either. I, I I get it around there. Two and five, three and four. I see it. I, I have a hard and this, time. Uh, and I thought they'd win five or six games going into the season. So it would be a success then, in your yeah. opinion, for what? Yeah. And, and it's a great point by one of the texters talking about who did we talk about preseason the most? Maybe other than Jonathan Taylor, <laughs> the three dudes that were talked about was Taylor, Richardson, and Shaq Leonard. Uh huh. Two of them have been non-factors for the majority of the season. One due to injury. One due to ineffectiveness. So for the pace or for the Pacers, for the Colts to be in the position that they're in at five and five, with the caveat saying Anthony Richardson isn't going to play for the majority of the season, he's hurt, and Shaq Leonard has been a non-factor on defense, and yet still the the Indianapolis Colts are five and five. I think there's a lot to be taken out of that. Well, in in the schedule all along, I mean, the Colts have benefited from a a down schedule. But again, when you're a bad team, you play down schedule the following year. That's just how it sets up. Now the NFL does it. Now, positive is, I think Gardner Minshew has been way better than I think we would have expected. Not that we expected him to be bad, but I think he's shown to be more than competent in having to step in and play as much as he has. He's he's done a decent job. Yes, he has his limitations, and we've seen that on display. But he's not the reason they're losing games. And anytime you're playing a backup quarterback for an extended period of time, that's a positive. He's been what you've expected out of a backup quarterback. Not perfect. Showing his inability in some certain situations, his limitations, but he's a backup quarterback in the NFL for a reason. Anytime you have to fall back on a backup quarterback, unless you're the San Francisco 49ers, that's probably (laughs) not going to be the best thing. And it hasn't been the best thing for the Indianapolis Colts, but Gardner Minshew has been what exactly what the Indianapolis Colts brought him in to be sort of a mentor to Anthony Richardson, a guy that can guide him on and off the field. But most importantly, because of Richardson's injury, being able to step in there and make some plays, not all the plays, maybe make some boneheaded plays, but he's been stable enough to keep the Colts the season from derail completely derailing and becoming an absolute disaster. And it's a relief we're not talking about Jonathan Taylor and trade and oh. all of that, you know, here at, at the bye week. He's part of the team. He's a key component. He basically picked up where he left off. He absolutely has. It's been it's been refreshing to see what Jonathan Taylor's been able to do and also refreshing that we don't have to continue to talk about his contract. <laughs> yeah. At least for a couple of years. <laughs> for sure. Coming up on the other side, the Heisman race. There's a clear favorite, former IU quarterback Michael Penix Jr., several contenders, but one guy who... I think was a dark horse, but you can't ignore the numbers he's putting up right now. If he were to win, it'd be historic for him to win the Heisman Award, and I think he should absolutely be the favorite. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 
all over the board today on the rejoins. We're all over the place. You played some nineties, some eighties, now some seventies. Yeah, early eighties. Is this Talking Heads? No, this is Cars. Cars. Okay, that was my other guess. Yep. Some let the good times roll. Let the good weather roll too. Yes. uh, I saw the forecast for tomorrow. Like sixty-eight and sunny. Yes, and then in the mid-November. Bottom, yes, and then bottom and then, drops out. And then on boom, we're done. Yes, it's over <laughs> with. We keep saying that. Eventually, it's going to drop. It does look like like Thanksgiving week, all in the upper four or upper forties at best. So today, I think we're going to put our Christmas deck outdoor Christmas decorations up today. Take advantage of me actually being home this afternoon, this evening, and getting that done in reasonably pleasant weather. So nothing too crazy. There's no inflatables or anything like that. That's good. Just so that, that will run up your electric bill real it fast. Absolutely. Well, I don't understand people that, that I, I don't either that stuff, especially when you look at the house and be like, you should probably save some <laughs> money on your electric bill because you can make some upgrades here. Um, That's usually how it works. It usually it does more inflatables. The less um, annual gross income is what I've, uh, there is definitely a, uh, an algorithm to it, but we'll put some lights up on the gutter. And around the banisters and stuff on the front porch, that's about it. No, no inflatables. Yeah, we. Uh, I'm whispering. I don't know why. Did you put them up? No. Oh, it's not even come up. I'm never gonna bring it up. <laughs> and I just, I feel nervous that that's gonna suddenly magically come up this today weekend. or tomorrow. Well, has any part of you thought, well, why don't I bring it up now because I don't want her bothering me when it's 36 and drizzly? I, I mean, it hasn't come up at all. As far as decorations. Do you guys do outside decorations? Yeah, we put some stuff up on like we have like a, a bush out front and then on like, yeah, the, the gutters like the, I think they're like icicle okay. lights and wrap them around like yeah. the front of the house. And that, that's it. But she hasn't mentioned it. And you're I'm not, just, you're not going to, I'm not going to mention it. Yeah. So I'm just going to continue to play with fire here yes. until it comes up uh, just, and it will come up and it'll probably come up into this weekend Oh, we need to start putting our Christmas stuff up. And I'll be like, oh, dang it. She remembered that yeah. it's Christmas time. <laughs> she has so much going on. She has a work trip later this week. Uh, she has this big conference she's preparing for that's in early December. So it's not on her mind at all. So if you so, could just so far, fingers crossed, I've been lucky yes, to, to escape it. You just have to keep her really busy until the end of December and you're clear. It's like uh, by the time you get to what is that Friday before Christmas, like December 22nd? Yeah. Yeah. By the time you, you get, get to there, there, if they're not up, like I feel like I'm they're not clear. going up. But but again, I don't think that's going to happen. No, no. I'm think, playing with fire here. I think next week when it's 41 and breezy, you're yeah. going to be out there. Yep. Yep. And I'll have to be up on the ladder and she'll direct me on how yeah, to does this put look them good? up. Yeah. <sighs> oh, I hate it because I'll put them I up and then. Well, we have like, so. But the, the a, thing is you like the finished product, but you yes, hate you the hate process. putting them up and they're never satisfied talking about the wise in terms of, of where they're at as oh, okay. You know, they need some more over here. Can you even them out or space them out or get them closer together? You're just like, uh, in the meantime, you're on this ladder. Can I- and then, and then the tree. So like we always buy a real tree and this would be the earliest we would buy one oh. anyway. So, uh, I mean, we'll probably get it next week or like the, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, somewhere around yeah. that time frame, And then everything will probably go up. It'll probably be next weekend. Along with all your inflatables. No. Oh, no. Here's the thing. So there's Halloween inflatables now. Yes. I saw like a house with like a clown inflatable. Ooh, scary. Yeah. Here in Fort Wayne. I'm like, no, thank you. Uh, So you have Halloween inflatables. You have 
Thanksgiving inflatables. I've seen them. Yes, the turkeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and the, Christmas the, inflatables. The popular thing this year was the Jack Skelton. Yes. Skeleton. Not an inflatable, but you could leave that. The, the, beauty, the beauty of that is you could leave it up from October through December. Yeah, and just decorate him with like Christmas stuff. Yeah, it works. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the inflatables have taken over for sure between uh, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. 46862, that is the text line. Don't forget to text Bloomington to 46862. You'll be in the running for a four-pack of tickets to see IU and Michigan State. The old Brass Spittoon, one of my favorite rivalry game names. Saturday afternoon, Memorial Stadium, noon kickoff uh, for IU, Michigan State. Again, text Bloomington to 46862. You'll be in the running for that four-pack of tickets for Saturday's game. Speaking of college football, in college football, some interesting numbers in the Heisman race. So former IU quarterback Michael Penix Jr., Quarterback at Washington, probably the the clear favorite at the moment, right? In the Heisman Trophy race. Uh, Bo Nix, you put him all up there yet? I mean, Penix and Bo Nix are, are probably 1A and 1B. Okay. And then you have Marvin Harrison Jr. probably right below, right? Yeah. I mean, the, these are the guys at play. But I think there's a new name that's emerged in recent weeks that I think needs a lot more attention. And that's Jaden Daniels, the LSU quarterback. He's thrown for over 3,100 yards, has 30 touchdowns, just four picks on the year but 900 rushing yards and eight touchdowns. An historic season for him. It destroyed Florida last year. Yes, he did. Uh, So he became the first player in FBS history to throw for at least 350 yards and run for at least 200 in a game. He did that against Florida last week and a big one there for LSU. And and here's the the number, the key number for me. He has 76 plays of 20-plus yards on the season. Gosh. Michael Penix Jr., 57. Caleb Williams, 55. To put it in perspective of how big of a season he has had in terms of an individual effort for an offense that is unstoppable and for a defense that is, well, very stoppable. Uh, in fact, yes. everyone can do do something against LSU's defense. And had he not gotten hurt in that game against Alabama, yeah, I don't think they would have won, but he would have continued to put up ridiculous numbers there as well. He's been absolutely phenomenal. The thing that hurts him is LSU's three losses. Yes. Is, is basically what's costing him because the the Heisman, fair or not, has become an award that goes to one of the best players on one of the best teams in the country. You how When's the last time a non-team in the playoff won the Heisman? Lamar uh, Jackson? Yeah, 2016. Y- y- you have well, to... Well, no, no. Last year, Caleb Williams. Alabama... Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, tw- yeah, tw- yeah. Yeah, that's right. With USC. Sorry. So we. I mean, Throw it happens. Out the window. Yeah. I, I mean, he's having a, a Caleb Williams, Lamar Jackson, Tebow type season, uh, where he's wowing people. And, and yes, he has like a, a nobody on the schedule this week, and then they have Texas A and M. So he doesn't have a lot of data points left. They're not playing the SEC championship game. So I get that. But he's trying to become the the first player on a three loss team to win the Heisman. Since Tim Brown did it in 1987. He needs, for Jaden Daniels to have a shot, he needs Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. to struggle somewhere. And even then, is he good enough, or can he convince enough voters to jump over Marvin Harrison Jr.? Well, I mean, if if Ohio State loses to Michigan, then I think that will end Marvin Harrison Jr.'s campaign, especially if he doesn't have a big game. Yeah, I think so. I think we're looking at, uh, look, we, we know that between Washington and Oregon, we expect one of those teams to lose another game. 
Perhaps they both could because Oregon has Oregon State and then Washington still as the, the at this point, they can meet in the Pac-12 title game and then a team will lose. So I think there's a chance. I, I just think he's having so good of a season that if he can have a ridiculous game against LSU Thanksgiving weekend, maybe that will be enough. Uh, I don't know. I, I look at Jaden Daniels and as much as he is doing, I just don't know with that struggle for LSU. And the fact of the matter is that those three losses came earlier in the season, or at least they're not coming at this point of the season to where you're in the conversation and more people are watching LSU. So I think Jaden Daniels is putting up stupid money. I agree with you. Just right now, he's not going to pass Knicks. He's not going to pass Michael Penix Jr. And, and I don't think he passes Murphy Harrison Jr. at this point. If LSU wins out, I think he has a shot. He has a shot, but he needs the other guys to level off. He doesn't need one of them going for what he did last week and over 650 total yards. <laughs> no, no, it does not. Uh, from college football to college basketball, Dylan Sin of the Journal-Gazette will join us next. Big Ten Conference scheme expansion. What's working for Purdue this year compared to last year? And is IU in trouble tomorrow night? We'll talk about all that and more with Dylan Sin of the Journal-Gazette next. Here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Wednesday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Don't forget you can text Bloomington to 46862. Again, Bloomington to 46862. And be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. The IU Michigan State coming up Saturday afternoon at Memorial Stadium. Noon kickoff in that one. Again, Bloomington to 46862 as IU takes on Michigan State in the Old Brass Spittoon game. Joining us on the guest line, Dylan Sin of the Journal-Gazette. Dylan, uh, Old Brass Spittoon is perhaps my favorite rivalry game name. Do you have a favorite? Uh, I mean, I've, I've always been partial um, uh, as a, a Michigan fan for most of my life. I've been, uh, been, been partial to Little Brown Jug, yes. which, is, uh, which is what Michigan plays for with Minnesota. I, I very much enjoy that, but no. The old brass platoon is terrific. That, that is a that is a top tier one as well. Now it's no uh, what bits of broken chair or whatever it was that Central Florida or no that that's UConn in Central Florida the conflict trophy. But the the bits of broken chair is that Nebraska Iowa is that right? Nebraska Minnesota Minnesota it's, okay. It's, yeah, it's Nebraska and someone. Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's also a good one. That, that's more of an internet creation, which is very good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Dylan uh, talking Big Ten basketball and so far Purdue they've had their first real test of the season taking on Xavier in the Gavit games what sticks out to you as different so far for the Boilers this year compared to last year yeah I think the biggest thing is just how they're trying to go about playing offense um, there last year it was very much like Zach Eady is the whole the whole thing right we're we're, we're gonna get the ball to him in the half court he's gonna go to work and then pass out and we're gonna score uh, off of that, or he's just going to put the ball in. This year, they're making a concerted effort to get out in transition, um, and they have the guys to do it. I, I think that Lance Jones is like is a one man fast break at, at times. He's the fastest guy on the floor in a lot of games. Purdue is going to play, in, and that's huge for them. Um, Cam Heidi is the same way. He's going to get get down the court and, and, and throw down some big dunks. Um, so they're they're trying to get out and run more often, and I think that that's that's helping them kind of diversify their offensive game plan. Now, the thing with that is, and this is, they've only played three games, so it might be a, it might be a fluke, but it seems like a trend to me is that that's hurting their offensive, their defensive rebounding a little bit. They, they're giving up a lot of offensive rebounds compared to last season. 
I think it's because some players are trying to leak out and start fast breaks rather than hanging back and rebounding. And I don't know if that's something that they're going to be okay with going forward. I know Matt Painter says they need to box out better and all that, and that's great. But I do think it might be a change in strategy a little bit as well. So we'll see how that plays out as the season goes on. Dylan, how much has Miles Colvin had an impact on that transition game? Uh, not as much as I think he will. Um, I, he, he's obviously a part of it. He's incredibly athletic, um, and he is going to be a significant part of the transition game. But he hasn't played really uh, a ton of minutes yet that are that um, allow him to do that. Uh, Matt Painter said after the last game against Xavier, when Colvin made three threes, he played very well. Um, that he's still kind of learning on defense kind of just how Purdue's system works and all of that. And Matt Painter kind of made a joke that because he's the only guy who's new to the team, uh, other than Jones, who's a veteran, that there are times in practice where Colvin's hearing his name called over and over and over again, and, it's, and he's like, well, uh, and Painter says, well, I need to let him know that that's not his fault. It's just that he's the only guy out there, and we need him to play. Um, and the only new guy, I should say. And we need him to play. So they want Colvin be a huge part of what they're doing, and I think he will be as the season goes on, uh, but he's working through figuring out the system right now because he's a freshman, and Purdue runs a famously complicated system. Dylan Sin of the Journal-Gazette with us says Purdue has, again, more tough games coming up. Gonzaga, possibly Kansas as well, and, and other matchups in the Maui Invitational. They still have the big one against Arizona who's coming off a big win against Duke. Purdue, second in the country. What you've seen so far... Is there any other team outside of Kansas that is really shown well for themselves and could be a challenge to those top two teams here early in the year? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do like what Arizona did against Duke. I thought they played very well, especially considering how Duke played against Michigan State the other day. Um, I think Houston is, is a very good team. It's just so early in the season because there haven't been a ton of marquee matchups yet between these top teams, so a lot of teams have just played uh, have, have just played teams that are inferior, so it's hard to say. I will say with Purdue, I have not seen anything with Purdue that suggests to me they are anything less than one of the best teams in the country. I have not seen anything that, that says to me this team was overrated or anything like that. I think they are one of the best teams in the country and will be as the season goes on. Dylan Sin the Journal-Gazette with us. Shifting gears to IU, they host Wright State coming up tomorrow night. So far early in the season, it's been a struggle for the Hoosiers. Is it new pieces? Is it effort? What's been the biggest issue for IU so far? I think it's a combination of both. I, I think that they made that clear after the game against Army, where Xavier Johnson flat out said that they're not practicing hard enough, that they're not, they're not putting good habits together in practice, and so that's carrying over to games. Um, I do think that part of it is Mike Woodson still figuring out how best to use the pieces that he has. Um, I do think that going forward, I don't know that you're going to be able to play Khalil Ware, Malik Renew, and Mackenzie Mbako all together. I just don't, I don't know if there's enough I don't know if the defense is going to be good enough with those guys on the court and that the offense is a little bit stagnated with those guys out there together so I think there's going to have to be some changes maybe only two of them play together, whichever two it is, um, and you kind of rotate I think that's going to be something that Mike Woodson figures out as the season goes on um, but, yeah, it's, it's been a struggle for the Hoosiers to start the season. There are significant questions about what this team can be, especially if Mackenzie Mbako is going to struggle as much as he has been. Dylan, when you look at what, what uh, Mike Woodson has brought up in terms of, of effort and, and, and all that stuff, when does it become 
a concern. Earlier in the season, you say plenty of time to figure out rotations and where everybody fits in. When do you look at it as say, uh, is this early season issues as opposed to when it is actually a concern? Is it once the, the conference season starts? Is it later on in the non-conference? Is it the new year? When do you kind of look at it and say this is a potential long-term issue? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it could start to be a long-term issue just over the next couple of weeks if it doesn't start to get better, right? Like, like we heard Xavier Johnson say after the game they're not playing hard enough in practice. We heard Mike Wisdom say these guys need to play harder. If they're still saying the exact same things two weeks from now, I don't think that, that, it, that it's wrong to worry about that as a long-term issue. I think that the effort can start to improve almost immediately. It's just a question of when that effort starts to yield results, right? Because you're not going to start practicing hard this week and immediately go out and be an elite team. I, I think that the effort is going to lead to results down the road. But if there's still not the effort there in a week or two, I think there's, then you start to have concerns that it's not going to get there. And, I, and that is a huge issue for this team because they need, they need to play hard. As they, and that could be a huge, um, a huge boon for them if they do play hard because they're so long and athletic that if they're playing hard, they're going to, have, they're going to make a lot of trouble for a lot of teams, but you have to play hard first. Dylan, uh, you mentioned McKenzie Mbaku, and he's not been much of a contributor so far. Jalen Hood-Shafino had a slow start last year as well. I think he had 18 points in his first three games. Is this just a matter of him getting comfortable as a freshman, or do you think it runs deeper than that? I do think it's mostly just him getting comfortable. I, the way I described it after the game against Army is McKenzie Mbaku is, is kind of lost on defense right now. Not that he's not playing hard on defense. It's he doesn't seem to know exactly where he's supposed to go. And it's kind of like a baseball player who makes a lot of errors on defense, and that starts to affect his batting where it's kind of a mental thing where I'm not playing well on one end, and then it starts to seep into the other end of the floor. And I think he's, because he's struggling on defense, he's in his own head on offense as well. And I think we, we saw in the exhibition games, we saw on the recruiting trail, he's an extremely talented offensive player, but he is not contributing to that standard right now on offense. Part of it is because he's just not touching the ball. Uh, when he's out there, he's, he's not, the ball is not finding him, which is its own issue. But when it is, he's, he's not, he doesn't seem like he has the confidence to do what he's done his entire life, which is score the basketball. And so I think once he gets more comfortable on defense, the offense will come from that. Uh, maybe he gets a couple steals because he's so long and athletic, he gets some tips, he gets out in transition. Uh, he, he throws down a big dunk, and, and here's the, the, crowd, the crowd go. I think that'll start to come together. Um, but he has to figure out where he's going on defense first, and that that it seems like it might be a little bit, a little ways away. Dylan, we talked this morning about the Big Ten and looking at the basketball schedule and what they want to do. Do they keep it at twenty? Do they expand to twenty-two? What do they do with the Big Ten tournament? Is it all inclusive? Do they have some sort of parameters where you have to qualify? In terms of what you feel could be would be the best setup for the Big Ten with the aim to be at their best for the in the NCAA tournament, what does that format entail? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think you can add any more conference games. It, 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 just the way, unless you're going to fundamentally alter the way the Big Ten plays basketball, which they don't seem to have a ton of interest in doing, maybe that's going to be um, a, a, uh, a priority of the new commissioner. I don't know. But just the way they play basketball in the Big Ten is so physical, and the refereeing allows that physicality that if you add two more conference games, it's just going to make things make worse the issue the Big Ten has had, which is that these teams beat each other up during the regular season, and then they're exhausted come tournament time and they don't play very well. 
And, and yeah, that, that you can quibble with the extent to which that's the problem in the tournament versus just not having the, the best teams. But there have been times where the Big Ten has gone through, and this, this season is not one of them, to be clear. They have not played well so far. But there have been times where the Big Ten has played really, really well as a whole in the non-conference at the beginning of the season, and then just entirely struggles in the tournament. And part of that has to be because they're exhausted from the Big Ten season. And I think adding two more conference games would be a mistake. Uh, I don't know what you do with the conference tournament. I feel like 18 teams is a lot to have. Um, but I do think you could probably just add another day to the tournament and you go from there. I don't know if you have to do qualifications for that. Smarter people than me will figure that out. I just don't think it's smart to go from 20 to 22. I mean, there, there are so many factors. And as you mentioned, the grind of the Big Ten schedule, recruiting, officiating, talent level, uh, and the the number of games. Like, it's all a vicious cycle, and this would just seemingly make it worse, no? It, it seems like it to me. And, it like, I mean, there, there's a reason that the, the Big Ten has struggled in the tournament over the last several years. I don't think adding two more conference games is going to help that. I, I, don't, I don't see any way that it would help, and I think it would probably hurt pretty significantly. Dylan Sin of the Journal-Gazette with us this morning. Dylan, as always, appreciate it and look forward to your work at journalgazette.net. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. Always good to be on with you. Absolutely. That's Dylan Sin with us this morning. Coming up on the other side, Kevin Harvick, retired NASCAR driver, just wrapped up his NASCAR career, went out and bought himself a house. But not just any house, a house you've probably seen before. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Breaking news as we wrap it up here on Wednesday. Deshaun Watson, Cleveland Browns quarterback, will undergo season-ending surgery on a broken bone in his throwing shoulder. So Deshaun Watson out for the season. Again, surgery on a broken bone in his throwing shoulder. So that will change up the season for the Browns for sure. Not not ideal for a team that all of a sudden was looking like a playoff team. Yes. So now with Watson out. Certainly a step back. A considerable step back. With Deshaun Watson, particularly the way he had come in and started playing, but now it'll be what PJ Walker again? Yeah, for the Browns. Yikes! Uh, meanwhile, Kevin Harvick, retired NASCAR driver. In fact, he just retired. Uh, he has gone out and bought himself a house, but not just any house. The Ricky Bobby Estate. Yes, the house featured in Talladega Nights, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Of course, the film starring John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. Uh, bought the house in late October, $6.75 million, six bedrooms, nine bathrooms, uh, over 12,000 square feet. It has two docks, a boat lift, a sandy beach area, a putting green, and an infinity pool with a hot tub located off Lake Norman in Cornelius, North Carolina. Says the recent, uh, the, the most recent property owners renovated the property. Inside looks totally different from the movie, but a few recognizable spots remain, including the stone fireplace where Ricky Bobby delivered his infamous prayer. So the, the house, I mean, you can, I'm looking at, at the picture. I mean, it is, it is quite the nice house. I mean, they have a, at the, the back of the house, like it overlooks the pool and then that overlooks the lake and they have like a, a covered area, uh, like a back porch covered area. It is quite nice. It's <laughs> not bad for 6.75 million, huh? <laughs> no, not at all. A lot, a lot of white. Like as far I as the pictures, like that. Yeah. Like, it's, it's always looks dirty. But I guess if you can afford a multi-million, yeah, you can, house, you can you can do whatever you want. Clean it. That's right. Yeah. Well, and you can change it however you want as well. Yeah, you can do whatever the heck you want. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, how fitting get the Ricky Bobby house yeah I mean you're done with your NASCAR career and you call it a final chance to text Bloomington to 46862 again Bloomington to 46862 for a four pack of tickets to see IU and Michigan State on Saturday afternoon again Bloomington to 46862 giving away a four pack this is your final chance we'll pick a winner at 9 o'clock thanks for being with us here on Wednesday for Dylan Sin for Justin Kinney I'm Caleb Hatch Ian Patrick show up next. The Herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. In the Sports Rush, not with Brett Rump today, but John Nolan filling in for Brett Rump here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.